listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Sterling Chapman, and I'm here today with our special guest coming in from New Zealand, Hadar or Kibi. He is the founder of MFIHoldings.com, and he's also the founder of MIHMastermind.com. Hadar, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sterling. I'm excited to talk to you this morning. Awesome. So let's just kick it off by telling us, why should we listen to you? What uh, experience do you have in the real estate investing world? I've been investing in real estate for uh, nearly two decades now. Really started as a real estate agent in Israel in the early 2000s, and then we immigrated to New Zealand. I started as a wholesaler and learned a lot of the guerrilla marketing, if you like, and strategies which you uh, deploy when you have no, you know, deals that you need to do with no money down, a lot of contemporaneous closing and assignments and things like that, which really propelled me into eventually, after a few years of doing that, building my own buy and hold portfolio. These days, I uh, specialize in investing out of area. I built a significant portfolio in New Zealand of uh, residential and commercial real estate and concluded in the last pretty much maybe seven or eight years of my investing that my portfolio is doing great. There's a lot of equity in it. The cash flow is good because I entered the market early enough, but for me to grow my cash flow and my passive income to the level which I desire to, to be, I had to look further afield. One of the reasons is, is the market that I invest in in New Zealand really matured. So the cap rates have compressed and the returns shrinked to a level that uh, when you want to buy a new property now, a new asset, you're basically acting and working in a market which is a bit more like uh, Boston, New York, Los Angeles, you know, three, three to four cap rates. So that propelled me into uh, getting myself educated and really looking into the U.S., Being an American citizen, I'm able to do business in the U.S., travel regularly, and of course, borrow money, which is the the key element for being able to make business over there. So what type of assets are you investing in in the U.S.? I uh, focused on uh, multifamily apartment building. Currently, I'm looking up to about 100 units, below 100 units. I'm focused on property which are kind of distressed. So mom and pop owners... I like to see typically assets which are uh, 1970s or younger. We like to see assets which uh, has enough meat on the bones. So we're targeting assets which has potential to to add value to. The easiest way to add value to uh, income producing real estate, such as multifamily, is properties which has enough loss to lease. Loss to lease is pretty much the current rent that you're receiving and where can you take it to to achieve market rent. For example, If you have a property which is generating $100,000 a year in income, for example, and you can take it out to market which is generating $150,000 a year, so that $50,000 difference, this is the loss to lease. So if you find an asset which is under-rented, this is the easiest way to add value to. So we're looking for this type of opportunities and also opportunities when we can reduce expenses and generate a higher income by increasing the rent, reducing expenses, which the bottom line of the NOI will be higher. And that's how we create better cash flow and better equity growth as well. Awesome. So you told me when we were talking before the show that you have 56 units in America. Is that a single 56 unit complex? 
No, I, I started buying to get my feet wet, if you like. I started buying smaller multi-families. I started buying fourplex and triplexes. One of the reasons for that is because uh, I wanted to test the market and test the people which I created teams on the ground. I wanted to test them on smaller deal in opposed to go and buy a larger community or something and, and make mistake on a larger deal. So I felt more comfortable to start on these assets. And gradually, I built a portfolio of 56 units compressed of two fourplexes, one triplex, and I just recently purchased another 45-unit community, which was a great deal, and I'm still now in the, in the process of repositioning it. So that brings up the, the 46 uh, unit. And of course, I got actually another deal in the hopper, which potentially will take me to my goal, which will be a 100-unit self-funded in the U.S. I self-fund those deals in the moment. I'm using my, my own resources and uh, sold the property in New Zealand to deploy the capital in the U.S. just to get the ball rolling organically so I can reach to 100 units on my own, be very close to my income goal, which I wanted to achieve in the U.S., and I'm very close to that. So it's, it's very exciting oh, times. Awesome. And I'm glad that you mentioned self-funded because I interview a lot of apartment syndicators on the show, and they throw around a lot of numbers like, I have 3,000 doors, I have 4,500 doors. <laughs> And really what it boils down to is they own about a half a percent of those. So having a hundred doors that you've self-funded and is all yours, that's a huge accomplishment. So definitely see the difference there. Where are these properties located? I'm primarily investing in central Arkansas, in the central Arkansas market. Okay. This is the market that I'm focused on. So somewhere between Fayetteville and Little Rock? Central Arkansas is basically Little Rock and all the areas around it up to about Conway. And then you go south, you go up to around the Hot Spring and that area there, which is about an hour each side pretty much from Little Rock in a radius. So how did you pick that market? Initially, I looked into the U.S. in general. I looked into Memphis. I have some friends in New Zealand who bought single family houses and small multifamilies in Memphis. When I visited Memphis, I met with some people who invest over there and property managers and a few other fellow investors through, through bigger pockets. I went to a meetup and I even joined the local RIA over there just to part of the networking. And I felt that the market there was pretty competitive, was very competitive, a lot of money coming up from, from California, from the East Coast. And I just didn't feel enough traction in it. And I also felt that Memphis is really a market that you have to know the location street by street. Because Absolutely. there are some blocks that you can go a block to the right in a good area and it will be a war zone. Right. Um, so while I was there on, 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 if you like, a business trip, I rented a car and I drove all the way to Little Rock and spent some time over there with some friends, which I, again, met on Bigger Pockets. Um, a great resource to use. I, I, I actually just got off, before this interview, I interviewed Scott Trench, the CEO of Bigger ah, yes. Great guy. He's a great guy and he, he, likes, he likes rugby and we had a couple of discussions about rugby. He's a rugby player too. So. Uh, yeah, he was just telling me about his injuries. <laughs> yes, he's a good guy. He's, he's promising me he's going to come to New Zealand, but he's always putting it off. It's, people in the States that New Zealand is far, but in reality, it's only you know, 13, 14 hours. It's just, it's just one flight. But nevertheless, I like Little Rock. I, I like the Central Arkansas market. I like the people. I felt like I can manage the market in terms of getting to know it really intimately. And I went, I went to work. I formed a relationship with the fellow investors 
with the property management company, of course, which is the number one key important asset that you need to have in terms of relationship on the ground when you are uh, looking to invest in out of your area, which is what I specialize in. And of course, uh, local lenders. Another very important point is to establish a relationship with those local lenders because they, are, they will be the one that will fund the deal. That's a process that took me now, you know, three and a half years to get a stabilized over there. Awesome. So you, you flew in and you, I mean, you studied the market in person, you walked the streets yourself, you met the property managers in first. So, so you're not investing from afar sight unseen. Absolutely or, not. Are you now, now that you've observed the markets and you trust your property managers and you trust your, you know, your local boots on the ground, are you now willing to buy something that you haven't seen or do you fly over and look at something every time you think about buying it? I always visit the property when I buy it. I mean, I had one situation which I didn't. Uh, I had a couple situations in my close to 20 years experience in real estate, one was in New Zealand because I knew the area intimately and it had to be a very quick transaction with a cash offer, cash unconditional, no contingency offer. And I bought that and that was a big success. And I actually, a year and a half ago, I bought something which uh, I knew the area roughly, but I was there and then the deal came back in and I didn't come for the closing. And that deal, that deal is a property which I bought but whether I've seen it or not, there was a lot of hidden costs and I, I would probably would have bought it even if I've seen it, but I, was, I wasn't there. I was just drove through it. I didn't actually walk all the unit. These two were the only properties I did. One worked out well because I did knew the area intimately and the, in New Zealand and the broker and the other one didn't work out so good because adjusting the, the demographic and the location was a bit challenging, but that wasn't to the fact that I didn't see it. I think it was more to the fact that that particular demographic, I did not know, knew it really well. It was a little bit outside of Little Rock in an area which the demographic is not as good there. So, you know, that's a good lesson learned. I'm not going to touch that particular area in the future. And I got a lot of offers, a lot of opportunity to buy apartments there for attractive prices. But, you know, I don't want to be in it. So I'm happy that I actually purchased a fourplex over there and I got a great deal. So I'm not, I'm still making good money and I can I'll sell it with a profit. But, you know, it's really important to, to get to know your area and, and just stick to your areas that you really know the demographic. I have a fourplex in an area that I would never buy in again. And the fourplex itself is beautiful, but the area is terrible. And one of the lessons I learned through that process is don't just go look at your property at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Go buy at six o'clock on a Friday night. <laughs> Uh, six o'clock on the Friday night, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and when it's raining as well. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you can see uh, where the water is standing, whether there is leaks, and whether uh, the asset is actually going to perform in, in, in every type of you know, situation. One thing is for sure, if you're looking to invest in another area, you need to be prepared to travel a lot. So I travel to the US uh, probably three or four times a year, not just being a business expense, but I go there, I land, and then have an itinerary of back-to-back appointments with all of the, the professionals in the industry that I'm going to meet, whether it's for relationship or whether it's to take a deal down, which I need to do part of the due diligence. And I just really uh, utilize my time to the best of my ability in terms of working from about nine o'clock in the morning until uh, six o'clock at night, really making the most of that time. You know, if I'm traveling from New Zealand 13, 14 hours and then flying to, for example, to any market, from Houston or wherever you go. If you need to, to travel four or five or three hours or drive two hours, this is something that you can do because you are in the United States. 
Absolutely. So let's back up for a minute. Can you tell us about your first deal and how you got interested into real estate in the first place and kind of what that first deal looked like? In my investing, you mean in, you know, close to 20 years ago? Or you sure, sure. I would imagine it's, it's not that different or am I wrong? Does real estate well, work the same way in Israel or? Well, in Israel, in Israel, it's a different story. In Israel, I had a house which I bought and I kind of renovated it and ended up selling it, but I wasn't really an investor. I was more, more of, a, of an agent. When I immigrated to New Zealand in the early 2000s, you know, the real estate cycle globally, if you like, was really uh, on the upstream. Anything from 2003 up to about 2006, globally, there was, that was a very strong bubble and uh, that triggered the GFC as well. I mean... The GFC, the availability of free funds, triggered the bubble in the United States. And we also in New Zealand and, and in Europe, there were uh, no dock and low dock loans, which mean everybody that could fog a mirror could get loans. And that was one of the key drivers, if you like, for the last real estate bubble that we had before the global financial crisis. So back then, there was a lot of hype on real estate. And I gradually got myself educated to start being a wholesaler and all of that. And I realized that I don't want to be a real estate agent again, like I was in Israel, and I want to be an investor. So I want to be on the other side of the spectrum because the real money is made investing long-term and building wealth for real estate. So started as a wholesaler to build my capital and my down payments. And gradually I was wholesaling and seeing all those deals, which I couldn't buy. I decided to pull the trigger on a property, which again, was out of my area. I, apart from one strip mall, commercial real estate, triple net lease, which I have here where I live in, uh, in central Otago in, a, in the South Island of New Zealand. Apart from that, I do not own any property here. Apart from that, and of course, the family home, I do not own any property here. So I, I've been investing out of area for always, pretty much. I'm used to it. I know how to build teams. Something that I had to do for necessity to invest in, in, bigger, in bigger markets that had better opportunities. So initially, I read the book and I got myself educated and I learned about buying assets which you can add, add value to. So initially, I looked into houses that had big backyards when you can potentially develop or perhaps build multiple dwellings or subdivide and sell some and do it that way in terms of, if you like, like a small development. Sure. Because they will always go in value if you're able to increase the, the density on the land, which is true. But they are not cash flowing as good as a multiple income property. Multiple income property, whether it's a, a duplex, triplex, quad, or, or 50 units or 100 units, first, they cash flow much better. Second, they are less risky because if you have a vacancy, you still have other units paying you the rent. Mm -hmm. And when you take it to the next level, which is a U.S. kind of multifamily apartments, it goes into commercial and you can really push the equity by, by manipulating the returns in terms of adding value to the rent and, and decreasing expenses. And you can create value. But when I started, I did not know that. So I, I was focusing on houses with big backyards. And quickly enough, I uh, figured out that I deployed all the money that I saved and put into those houses waiting for them to perhaps go in value or maybe making more money so I can develop those sites. But I got to the point when I wasn't able to service any more debt because they were not cash flowing enough. They were maybe six cup or five cup. And back then in the 2000s, the interest rate were somewhere around six to seven to eight to nine percent. So they were just breaking even. 
And I got to the point when I was uh, leverage locked. Leverage locked means that you cannot leverage anymore, you cannot borrow anymore. And gradually, I networked with other investors and realized also in New Zealand that I need to shift my focus into multiple income properties, which uh, would be small multifamily. Because in New Zealand, there's no, there's no large multifamilies like 10 unit, 50 unit, 20 unit. A hundred unit. There's not a lot of uh, multi-families like that in New Zealand. So we, the only thing that is available are small multi-families, and that's what I focused on here. And my portfolio in New Zealand is all now comprised. I sold those houses, and it's all now uh, comprised of multi-family and some commercial real estate. Awesome, awesome. So, can you tell us about your biggest home run, your most successful investment? I had the. I had a couple. I can tell you about two of them. The first one was in New Zealand. I bought a fourplex in Auckland, and uh, that was in 2012. So the timing was right. You know, it was a home run because I got the timing right, and it was a good deal. I bought a fourplex for a really good deal, and I uh, did what we call a condo conversion. In the US, you call it condo conversion. It's basically yeah. taking those four units and subdividing them, separating the titles, and separating the utilities which will allow you to potentially sell the units separately, the apartment separately, or appraise them separately. So once it's on separate title, it does not appraise like you do a commercial real estate based on the return. It's appraised separately, which will bump the rent. In those days, you know, they were kind of based on the return. Uh, although four units in New Zealand, they were based on the return, just the way investor. It was investment store. Only investor would buy it. There was no house hacking or anything like that. You know, home, home buyers would not consider buying those properties, only investors. So I've done that. I was all in in about 1 million, 1.1 or something like that. And I ended up selling it for uh, close to 2 million. Oh, wow. Um, but that was, I knew I'm going to create significant equity out of it. But when I did my underwriting, I knew I'm going to create maybe 300 grand. But because the timing was so good, the market just started uh, increasing. And that 300 grand that I knew I'm going to be able to create by doing the condo conversion turned out to be 900. Awesome. So I sold the properties. Unfortunately, in New Zealand, there is no 1031 or like-kind exchange. And I sold it in one package. I did not end up sending them separately. I sold it in one package for an investor who bought it the whole lot. There was no like-kind exchange in New Zealand or 1031 exchange, so I had to pay a lot of tax on it, which I did. What does the, ta the tax bill look like that in, in New Zealand? Close to 30%. Two. Yeah. So you ended up paying in taxes what you had originally underwritten that you were going to make. <laughs> yes, because the rent did not keep up with the equity. You see, I created all that, all that equity, but the rent did not keep up with that. So at the end of the day... I was in a situation that I got this equity and what is the best use of the capital? What is the best use of the money? Sure. If you want to improve the velocity of money, in my view, I, had, I made a decision. I thought about it for a long time and I made a decision to pay the taxes, pull the money out. And what I did is that I used that money, I used those profits, if you like, to pay down debt on the commercial real estate that I, that I own which I basically is now mortgage-free as an Cambrian and is generating a significant amount of cash flow per year, which allows me and my family to live a lifestyle by design, if you like, and have some significant passive income, which uh, it's really helpful. You see, up to that point, 
I was wholesaling, I was trading, buying, renovating and selling, and I was building my portfolio, but nothing was really generating significant cash flow, which will allow me to have that base of income that I know that, that we are secured, if you like. And by doing that, I pulled the equity out and paid down debt on the, on the commercial real estate that generate what for most people will be more than annual wage, yearly, yearly salary. Awesome. Awesome. Love to hear that. And the second home one selling is my latest deal in the United States, which I don't know how long you want me to go on that, but it's a great deal. It's a 45 units apartment community with about 35% loss to lease, meaning that there was a massive upside in the rent. I think the rent roll there was about 120,000 at the most because of the vacancies, because of the low rent. I'll be taking it up to about 315 once it's stabilized. So I think... How did you find it? How did you pay for it? How much did you put down? Okay, so very good question. This uh, particular deal was about 18 months in the making. I uh, initially did a marketing campaign, direct mail marketing campaign. Then I follow up with cold calling. So now, now I will be tweaking it a little bit big. I'll add another middle stage which I was discussing and putting it together for one of our students in the MIH mastermind that Marco and I are running. So it will be like, now I will do it differently. And I want to make that point because we are evolving as investors. We're finding different tools to make things better. So first will be letter. Then it will be a voice drop plus text, text message at the same time. Then it will be a follow-up with a cold call because you want to do the automations first. Then you do a follow-up in a cold call, and then you will do even a door knock if you have to. So that will be the last, last resources if you need to. So I've done a letter, and then I've done a cold calling, and then I've done an email as well because I have access to... Do, do you ever tell them when you knock on the door that you flew 13 hours to come see them? <laughs> <laughs> Usually, we hired the door knocker in New Zealand for a while, and we gave him the script and everything. But uh, in the States, I did not have to do a door knocking uh, so far. I, uh, I kind of created a list, a super list, if you like. I take it from different resources and put a list together. And uh, using the right tools, I have the ability to uh, have people's cell phones, email, and bits and pieces, which uh, allows me to interact with them. So I rang someone about this deal, which was listed as the owner. That wasn't the owner. There was a lady over there when I told her, and I got my own spiel, which I stick to and it goes something along the lines that uh, hi my name is when i ring them i say my name because I'm, I'm not going to to lie but in my letter actually i don't mention my name first i use uh, friends of my name because i wanted to sound local so he says hi my name is paul abc we are investing locally in the community we're looking to grow our portfolio and we'd like to know if you consider selling the property in xyz and that's the letter you can get away with using Paul on the letter, but the accent would have probably given you away if you... Yeah, but the letter says, hi, my name is Paul. My business partner, Hadao Kibi, and I are interested <laughs> to invest. No, because if you say Hadao Kibi, and I got this feedback from one of the people who received the letter, and then, I, and then I ended up talking to them on the phone, and even they invited me to the home, and we sat and talked. They own about close to 300 units in my market, and we're kind of building the relationship. They told me, you know, when we read your name and, and all of that, we, we didn't know if we, you know, who is it? You know, you, you know, it could have been somebody from like a Middle East or something, you know, they don't know exactly if they want to deal with someone like that. You know, people got their own 
their own decision to make. So anyway, that's fine. I left the message. She said he's going to ring me. They never rang me. Then I sent an email saying, hey, I'm interested in this community. Would you consider selling? Long story short, a broker rang me. A broker that works with a family to sell some other asset, commercial asset, industrial stuff. And we started forming a relationship, forming a report. They wanted $1.6 million for this, which is a price which I, I knew is not going to work because of the rents. 20% vacant. It's just it's too much. It needs too much work and it's not going to pass uh, service. The debt to cover ratio will be something you can't work with. So we negotiated for a while. Long story short, I ended up buying it for $1,050,000. If anybody wants to hear the, the whole story, they are welcome to uh, jump on my website, which is mfiholding.com. And there is a link to the movers and you just cut out your connection just cut out so i'm going to repeat that so that our listeners can hear it he said the movers and shakers podcast it's a jake and gino production for which you are a coach correct yeah i'm coaching i'm an accountability coach for for jake and gino as well i done the movers and shakers podcast number 28 if you want to listen to that you can listen to the whole story awesome. about this particular deal and you got a link on my website for that as well on the mfiholding.com website. Awesome. Yeah, we love Jake and Gino on the show. We, we've interviewed uh, Gino and we talk to Josh all the time. That, that's who introduced us, is it not? Yeah. Yes. So great group. I love everything you guys are doing over there. Do you have a deal for us that maybe didn't go quite as well as planned, like something that, that you lost money on or was kind of a, a disaster? Yes, Absolutely. I have a couple of examples for you. Around 2015, I bought a three-unit site. So it's a house with uh, potentially to subdivide for another two lots on the house. I bought that in Auckland, New Zealand with a friend of mine. We wanted to develop this property. And what happened there was that we hired a planner to help us out with the zoning because it was a tricky site. We had to get a special zoning approved for, to be able to develop the site. But also at that time, the whole of the Auckland city was going through a, a rezoning and a new, if you like, plan for the zoning to take place. So there was a lot of unknown in the, in, in the zoning rules and all that through the different planners. I'm not going to get into that in details, but the long story short, apart from that, we paid a significant amount of money to architects that had great ideas about those townhouses that we're going to build over there. But the, the materials that they used and the charges that they, they charged us just to get the permit was significant. It was, about, I think, about $40,000 or something, all up oh, for, the wow. whole, for the whole thing. And uh, at the end of the day, we got the plans approved, but we couldn't build it for a price that would make sense because all the materials and everything they designed was, was a very high-end spec. So then we start looking on different costs and different material, maybe change the plans, but... That aside, the market there changed pretty much within a few months, maybe two or three months, because the New Zealand government introduced a loan-to-value restriction at some point that if you're not buying your own home, you have to bring 30% down. So it's basically 70% loan-to-value, and then it went down to 40. So when Mm. it went down to 40, that really made it difficult to develop the site and also to find a buyer that will buy it with the plant. And apart from that, we had a neighbor, which was really just an adjoining neighbor, and he had an an easement to drain his sewage line into our piece of sewage that we had running through our property all the way to the mains. 
And we needed him to sign that he allows us to move the sewage lines from the middle of the section to the boundary so we can build over it, if you like, not, not to build over it. And he, he was all right in the beginning, verbally, he said, yeah, no problem, whatever. And then he ended up stringing us along for like a year. And we have holding costs, we're paying interest, we had a lot of, a lot of stress because you don't, know, you don't know if you're going to be able to do it because he was stringing us along for a year and he was not communicative and really difficult to work with. I ended up being very persistent and very, very patient. And in the end, we got it done. I managed to agree with him that we're going to pay him something for him to agree to sign it. And he did it. But it was, it was a very difficult time and it was very stressful as well. But it's a good lesson then. You know, I'm not looking to de- develop. At that point, I was anxious to get into a deal. I had the period of time that I kind of wanted to take opportunity of some capital. And if you like, take things to the next level by doing some development. But uh, at that time, I, I decided that, uh, you know, I'll stick to what I know. And, and I'm not doing, I'll do small things, maybe one house here or there on the back section. But I'm not doing multi-unit development. The building cost is not, is not something that uh, I can sustain. And I see that in the U.S. as well. A lot of people thinking about, oh, yeah. oh we'll, build, we'll build multifamily, we can build multifamily. At the end of the day, if you are not the builder or general contractor yourself who can build it at 30% below what it's going to cost to build, the numbers are not going to stack up and you're not going to make any money. So if you're buying in the U.S. at $110 per square foot, there's no money in it. Right. You know, Stick to what you know. That's why I, I really now focus, laser focus on the, the C and B asset type, which are value add, it's much easier. It's not as complicated. And 90% of the time, you don't have to deal with the local authorities. When you deal with development, you're dealing with the local authorities. There's a lot of red tape and it's oh, a whole yeah. different ballgame and a lot of risk. I'm, I'm so, waiting on some permits right now. <laughs> yes. So I've done, I've, you asked me in the beginning why people should listen to me. So I'm not proclaiming to be an expert of all the things, but I've done wholesaling, I've done flipping, I've done some division, condo con- conversion, I've done small new construction. I've been doing commercial real estate and joint ventures for you know over 15 years. So I got the experience, which led me to believe that being laser focused on one thing is the best way forward. Saying that, I still flip houses because I got it automated. I got it automated in New Zealand. I got, a, I got a contractor who I work with. He does everything turnkey for me now, and I just need to monitor the expenses and have the, the first concept. So I still, be, still do it for cash flow. But if you can automate it and you, and you, and you can have your uh, criteria nailed down and you don't deviate from them, then you can do it. If it's something that you got it systemized. But... I, I truly believe in, in laser focusing on, on what you want to do and get on with it. Awesome. So that brings us into our next question. What's your advice for any real estate investors or potential real estate investors that are out there looking to get started? What does that 20 years of experience and wisdom have to offer? What would you tell them? The first thing I will, uh, I will say is education. When I started, there was no podcast. There was no, not a lot of uh, ways to learn apart from reading books and listening to some CDs or MP3 players or whatever I could do when I was walking in the, in the vineyard and the orchard of Central Otago. So the first thing is education. Don't be afraid to pay a coach like a Jake and Gino community, like a coaching system like Jake and Gino offer or joining a mastermind like Marco and I run the MIH mastermind. 
because that could really save you a lot of money at the end of the day. It's basically you're learning from people who had experience to prevent you making the same mistake. So that's the first thing. Again, another point, avoid the, the, the shiny object syndrome. Stay focused on one thing. Don't start jumping from, from one thing to the other because if you want to get results, you have to focus on one thing. Focus on one market and be open to invest out of area. If you're living in a market which doesn't stack up, learn how to, how to, how to invest out of area and make it happen. And always remember, if I can do it from New Zealand investing in the U.S., you can do it too. And if you, if you really want to learn it, reach out to me. I got a free ebook that I can share with you in a video course that uh, will really give you the foundation to invest out of area. And you can find that on my website, mfiholding.com. Another point is know your market. You, you, if you decide to invest out of area or in your area, or maybe two hour drive from your, from your location, get to know your market. You really need to become uh, present in the market. You need to learn the streets. You need to learn the players. You need to know who are the owners that own large portfolios or, or maybe a cluster of fourplexes or tenplexes in the area and get to know the lenders in your market. The lenders are a very, very important part in your market. They need to know you. Establish those relationships earlier. Open an account with them. Perhaps get a secure credit card or a credit card and start building that credit with them. Very, very important. Network, create those relationships, attend meetup, and just be present in that market. And the last point I would like to mention, which is very important, and that's taking you back to my first deal, buy property with value-add potential that you can generate yield and equity at the same time. Because if you buy an asset where you can manufacture equity and creating cash flow, you're setting yourself up to success. And if you don't, you're just gonna, not gonna be able to grow your real estate business as, as efficiently, as, as, as fast as you, as you could, if you create those foundations. So those are the, the, the points. Education, avoid, avoid shiny object syndrome, focus on one market, Get to know that market, network with all, all the professionals in the industry, in your market, and buy value add with yield properties. Well, I think that's the most comprehensive answer I've ever gotten to that question. <laughs> making it happen here. So. <laughs> awesome. So moving on, we're just going to finish out with our radio round. So real quick, what's your favorite book? I have a lot of, uh, I read a lot of books. If you want to add a lot of, another thing is, Always continue educating yourself. I always read. I always listen to podcasts. I always try to learn more. We don't know everything. You always have to get yourself educated. So I always refer to real estate, multifamily books. But now I'm, I'm reading a book which was sitting on my shelf for maybe five years and I did not pick it up. I kind of look at books and I get them to call me to read them. You know, they're saying that the book will call you. I buy books and then when the time is right, they come. I do the exact same thing. I had a book sitting on my shelf for eight years before I read it, but I yes. read it. And the book that I'm going to tell you now, you probably know it. Like I said, it was on my shelf for a long time and I just picked it up and it's called Sales Dog by Blair Singer, which is a real estate advisor for Robert Kiyosaki. He's one of the first advisors and good friends of Robert. And it's all about sales and he characterized salespeople with dog characters. So you got the Chihuahua, you got the Golden Retriever, you got the Poodle, and you got the Bull Mastiff, and you got the, the Bastard Hound, and all those, which is really interesting because it makes you think about sales and people in a way that you can understand 
the approach how to how to become a better salesperson and even just talk to people for example if we talk i got one of the students we have in the mastermind he needed a bit of tweaking with the way he deal with his off-market deals and you know i gave him the book i told him to read the book and it's really helped them a lot to realize that perhaps he needs to tone down his bull mastiff and become a little bit more golden retriever. And, and he's a dog lover as well. So it really resonated with him. Um, awesome. It's a great book. It's a great I'll, book. I'll definitely check it out. Or I'll at least buy it and put it on my shelf to read in five Do years. It. Absolutely. <laughs> what, what's your favorite quote? I got a few quotes for you and I like to share them with you. The first quote, which always came to mind is, you fail to plan, you plan to fail, which is Benjamin Franklin. I mean, if you want to get somewhere and you're not planning it, you're not going to get there because you need to plan and see how you're going to get to where you're going to get. So if you sure. fail to plan, you plan to fail. It's simple as that. Another quote, which I really, really like, and I think it's very uh, important for uh, real estate investors as a whole and, and, and us now that you know, people are looking to create, make it happen and find deals, it's, it's that. In the middle of difficulty, Lies an opportunity. Awesome. By, by Albert Einstein. And that's, this is really real estate. If you think about it, the difficulty will be a, a recession times. For example, when there is a, a recession, there's opportunities everywhere. Okay. In life as well. Sometimes you've got crisis, you've got stuff that teaches you to, to, to change things in your life, to make your life better, to maybe start better habits. So this quote, I like it a lot because it has a holistic approach for life as a whole. Awesome. What's your favorite thing to do outside of work? I like running. I'm a runner. I really like uh, walking out, specifically running. I try and do a, ma a half a marathon every year or every second year. I, I'm a runner as well. Good. I, I haven't run lately, but I, I've done four fulls and probably a dozen halves. Good. You know the feeling though. It's oh, yeah, it is. It really is. Well, awesome. Yes. So where can our listeners find you? And I like yoga as well and mountain biking, by the way. And of course, spend time with my family and travel the world and eat ethnic foods. That's really what I, I do. And uh, I like to spend time with my kids' sports. I help to coach my, uh, my son's rugby team. And it's something that I really enjoy. I'm pretty much proud to say that I hardly ever miss any of his games and, and coachings. Uh, awesome. And, my and that's from the lifestyle that you designed from real estate investing. So that's, yes, that's, that's awesome. what we're here for. That's what yeah. we're here for. If anybody wants to touch base with us and, and perhaps connect with me, they can visit me on the, the mihmastermind.com website. We can perhaps put a link in the show notes. And I have a free ebook that I wrote that I can share with the, with the listeners. It's called The Real Estate Cycle, Understanding the Different Phases and Strategies of Each Cycle. Because each cycle, each phase, has a different strategies that you can apply in, in that particular phase of the cycle, whether you're in the boom, in the slump, in the recession, or in the recovery. So if you're interested in that book, which is very timely for where we are right now, jump on mihmastermind.com, click on the link above, and, and you'll get the book, no problem. Awesome. Hadar, thank you so much for joining us. It was a great show. I learned a ton, and I'm sure our listeners did too. I can't wait to hear more about your progress in Arkansas. Thank you, Sterling, and make it happen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. 
You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at CrestworthCapital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.